Hello and welcome to Minter Dialogue, episode number 415. My name is Minter Dial and I'm your host for this podcast. First, I'd like to give a shout out and thanks for putting up a five-star review of the show on iTunes by R. Holy. Please do consider, consider dropping in your rating and review. And certainly don't forget to subscribe to catch all the future episodes. As for this week's interview, it's with Leslie M. Leslie's a former singer, TV host, advertising creative director, and now an entrepreneur, training professional, and coach. In her words, Leslie is the chief firestarter at Combustion, a creativity-fueled training company that transforms people so they can transform their organizations. Leslie is also the author of the upcoming Swagger, Unleash Everything You Are and Become Everything You Want. In this conversation, we discuss the important difference between self-belief and self-confidence, swagger as an introvert, empathy and vulnerability, and of course, how to unleash your swagger. You'll find all the show notes on minterdial.com. Now for the show. Leslie M., my goodness, uh, we have multiple amazing contacts that got us in touch with one another, and and somehow uh, I feel somehow kindred spirit, uh, but not in all the things that you've done, singer, TV, advertising, entrepreneur, training as an education professional and coach, and now author of Swagger. Lizzie, in your own words, how do you like to describe yourself? Whew. Well, um, I, you know, I, I am kind of all that, but I, I like to think of myself more as a human being than a human doing. Those are all the things that I do. But who I am is just someone who is desperately passionate about unleashing human potential. And uh, my whole purpose is being in service of that. That's what I use all my personal power for. When did you discover that? purpose? I think it was probably a slow progressive thing, but I think it's something that I always had. I was a big champion of the underdog when I was little. If I ever saw someone being bullied or hurt or pushed around, I would put my little body between them, you know, and the bully and say, bring it on. Because I was very, I was always fearless. And I was really raised to trust who I was and to believe and embrace who I was. So I was very, very lucky that I had those kinds of parents who just let me be who I who I was. Um, and everything throughout my career, even though I was obviously doing things for myself, there was always an aspect of being in service of the other in some way, shape or form. So when I was a singer, I was very conscious of being in service of my audience. When I was in the film industry, I was very conscious of being in service of the, the people that I worked for and, and the audience again. When I was a TV host, again, that really, I wanted to work in TV because I, I realized during my work as a TV host that really I just wanted a platform from which to communicate. I didn't want the fame thing. I didn't like that, that aspect of it. I loved being able to connect meaningfully and deeply, which meant that I hated part of the TV world and I loved part of the TV world. Um, but it really came to a hyper head when I was working in advertising and I discovered very quick, quickly that I, I cared less about the advertising aspect and I cared more about the people who were creating the advertising. 
as a creative director, I was responsible for all of these humans who were struggling with the imposter syndrome and who were looking for support and help, and they really couldn't find it. And that's what led me to, I went home to my husband one day and I said, I feel like I'm using my, my superpowers for evil instead of good. And I think I'm going to start a training company to help my people. And he said, you say, what? Are you <laughs> kidding me? Because you hate training. I'm like, right, right? Who better to start a training company than somebody who hates training? Because that way I can not pay attention to any of the rules and just do what I feel is going to be right for the people. And I think that that cemented from that point on, and that was about 13 years ago, it cemented that what I was the most committed to, the most proud of, the most inspired by uh, was helping people to have those experiences that were meaningful to them and that truly unleashed their potential and to see how they felt as a result of that training. People would say incredible things um, about the, the experience that, that they'd had. And I went, that's it. I'm done. I'm in. 100%. That's all I care about is for people to have felt changed for the better for the experiences. Mm. So for a parent who's listening, how what what did you take? Because you're obviously now a parent as well. What did you take from the way your parents allowed you, facilitated, encouraged this Leslie M to emerge? Well, I mean, it's it's a lot harder, I think, today than it was when my parents were, were raising me because of social media and so on and so forth. But the message that I try to give to my kids over and over and over again is that you got to do you. There is only one you in the world. And the faster and sooner you embrace who you really are, the more you're going to learn to be comfortable in your skin. And the longer it takes you, you're just delaying the inevitable. Eventually, you're going to figure this out. So the sooner you do it, the better. And don't get sucked in by all of this, this bull crap messaging, because it's not going to serve you. And all of this messaging that you're going to get is going to tell you that you have to do and be and say and behave a certain way in order to fit in. And it's bullshit. It's not, it's not the truth. The other thing that, that my mother in particular, my, both of my parents were entrepreneurs, but my mother in particular, she used to always say to us, whenever we would have expressed desire, you know, as kids have dreams and fantasies about things, she would say to us, well, why not you? Why not you? And she would wait for an answer. It wasn't a hypothetical question. And so we would have to come up with a reason why we could not be a singer or a TV host or a, a, an astronaut or a doctor, like anything that we wanted to be. And we would teach ourselves at the end of the day that nothing was standing in our way and that, there, that those things that we dream of are all within our potential. It's just it's just kind of giving yourself over to it and saying, I want that. I'm going to go after it because why not me? And if you fail, who cares? You pick up and you do something else because why not me? And so on and so on. So I, obviously I bring the parenting hat into this as well. And I, I, one of the questions that I came through as I read your manuscript, which was, is one ever too young to have swagger? Oh, God, no. I mean, I think we're all born with swagger. You know, we all come into this world a swagger-filled badass. But I want to I wanna give everyone my description, my definition of swagger, because I don't want anyone to think that it's the old, 
the old tired version of swagger. So the way that I define swagger is not that show off the arrogant peacock in your face, fake it to you, make it strutty kind of swagger. My swagger is the ability to manifest who you really are and hold on to it in the face of all that psychological crap that's going to come for it, regardless of situation or environment. So if we're using that definition, then hell to the no, you're never too young. Because I think we all come into the world like that. You look at kids and you look at how the amount of self-love they have and the amount of appreciation they have for their uniqueness and all of that beautiful stuff. And that stuff gets progressively kicked out of them over time. You know, the, the voices that they hear, even inadvertently from their, their family or their teachers or their peers, they, it chips away at their swagger. And then one day they wake up and they say, what happened? How, how did I get like this? How did I become this person who was so afraid to reveal who I really am to the world and who doesn't believe that who I am inherently is good enough to achieve my dreams? So I think it's, it's more like you have to protect it in your kids, you know, just keep nurturing and protect it and reminding it and, and, and trying to make sure that the voices that are in their heads, cause they're going to stay with them forever. So parents be careful, be careful with that messaging. Even if you mean the best, be careful because those will be the tapes that your kids will play over and over in their heads and they will take on new depth, new, new resonance, new meaning, new ugliness through all of the other things that happen to them. So we want to plant those swagger seeds as early as we can and then nurture, 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 and keep reminding them that they are still this swagger-filled badass that they came into the world as. Uh, I, I love this idea of the flawed badass, uh, accepting your imperfections. I want to get to that in a moment, but I want to continue on this little track here because a lot of times you talk about the passion. You certainly are a passionate lady and, and you talk about finding your passion that you're actually in your description, your, your sort of badass description is you have this passion yet. It's not always obvious to find one's passion. I, and when I, listen to you, I, I can't help but think about, on the one hand, some kids uh, can be extremely selfish and, and not, um, and already kind of self and, you know, let's say over the top, uh, their own little world. And the other one is exploring many things and, and being okay with not being good at them before you finally find a passion. But a lot of times my kids certainly. And I, I catch myself catching, asking other kids. So what are you passionate about? And they look at me like with glazed eyes, you know what? So the, the fundamental question is, can you have swagger without passion? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think, I think that swagger, again, it's a human being thing, not a human doing. Because if you genuinely, authentically don't know what you want yet, then you've got to genuinely authentically embrace that and go, hey, I'm just a work in progress. I'm trying to figure it out. I think there's way, way, way too much pressure on kids to figure out what and who they want to be. Because listen, if I, had, if I had had to put my stake in the ground when I was 17 and stick to that, I don't even know what my life would have been like. I've had probably seven, eight, nine different careers and one thing led to another. I got more experience, more context, more experience, more context. And it showed me that my 
that the skills that I would develop, that I was developing were so transferable in so many ways. And I, I really um, kept my eyes open to, well, how can I use this thing? And sometimes other people would recognize it in me and give me opportunities. And I would go, why not me? Okay, I'm all in. And I would try it and I would learn something from it. And then I would do it until I didn't want to do it anymore. So I think that it, it can be, very, especially this day and age, it can be dangerous to sort of commit to one path unless you do already have that passion. You know, some kids know they want to be doctors. Some kids know that they want to be activists or entrepreneurs or whatever it is. Well, great, do you, boo. If you know that, go all in. Doesn't mean it'll, it'll, it'll last forever. But hey, if you, if you have that, great. If not, go play. And that could, that could be through your education. Go do a really super broad degree and figure out what turns you on and what, what interests you. Or go try some stuff. Go out to the world. Get a job that sounds cool. And then see what you like from it. You know, it's, I think we're, we're, we forget that life is long. You know, it's long. And there's not a rush to figure it out. And we need to kind of breathe through it and just ask ourselves, you know, what's stopping me? Is there a lot of fear in my way? Is there something that's stopping me from exploring? That's what I want to focus on. That's what I'm, what I would never want to have happen to anybody to say, well, I'm not sure, but I should know by now, or I should do this. It's like, there are no shoulds in this world, you know? People do not lie on their deathbed and say, I should have followed my more rules. I should have, I should have figured things out, you know, earlier. Like I didn't become an entrepreneur until I was in my 40s. I, you know, I, I, I didn't go into advertising until I was in my late 30s. So it, all of those years before were all exploration years of TV and film industry and singing and traveling and doing my thing. And it was all good. I all worked out. Hmm. Well, this is where you and I, I think, are, are birds of a feather in having explored so many different things and then just making that the the messy combination of things. It is us. I mean, or at least the unique things, not to call it messy, because, I mean, you use the word messy pretty frequently, though. Yeah. Um, one of the, uh, the areas that was interesting to me was the difference between self-belief and self-confidence. Yes. I was deeply thinking that swagger was really all about confidence, but you kind of pushed me away from that thought. Explain to us the difference and why self-belief is so important. Well, the, the thing about confidence, that thing that you ask most people what they're seeking and they'll say, I wish I had more confidence. I actually Googled, uh, Googled it the other day, how to show up with more confidence. And there was 368 million um, hits on that. And most of them were about how to fake it until you make it. Because here's the thing about confidence. It does not come from faking it. it you cannot have it. The only way that you can gain true confidence is through competence only by doing something over and over again and building a, a real foundation of ability and skill do you develop that thing called confidence, that sense of, oh, I know how to do this. I've got this. I can use this in a million different ways. I got a baseline. No one can shake me on this. I'm all good. Okay. Competence breeds confidence. Confidence does not breed competence. 
however. Now, the problem with confidence is that as soon as you're stretching yourself, you're going out of your comfort zone, you're trying new and different things, that confidence is going to get shaken because you don't have the confidence to back it up. That's when you have to move to self-belief. Self-belief does not require competence. Self-belief is that unerring feeling, that sense that you can jump off the cliff and you're not going to die. That, yeah, you might hit a few branches on the way down. You might bounce. You might fly. You might trampoline. You might, you know, get stuck a few places, but you're not going to die. And it's that ability to go off the edge of the cliff that is the key to allowing you to then go and build the confidence that you're going to need for confidence. I have a great, I know we were talking before about my visual, my visual analogies. I'm all about this. So my analogy for, uh, for self-belief is um, most of your audience, I would guess, have seen the Bugs Bunny cartoons at some point in whatever language should, it might be, right? It's I should old think school. so. Okay. So remember the, the relationship between the Roadrunner and Wiley Coyote. The Roadrunner would outsmart Wiley Coyote every time, was always two steps ahead, but Wiley Coyote would be unrelenting in chasing the Roadrunner down. And inevitably, their, their battle would end up on some kind of mountaintop where the Roadrunner is racing up the mountain and taking these curves at high speed and the Coyote is desperately trying to, to keep up and the curves just keep getting shorter and shorter and, you know, and, and tighter. And eventually the Coyote cannot keep up and boom, off the Coyote goes off the side of the mountain. And then he hangs there in the air with this shocked expression on his face. When does the Coyote fall? When he looks when, down. When he looks down, that's right. Okay, so here's my advice. Don't look down. Because self-belief is, is that is going off the side of the cliff and believing that this little pathway is going to reveal itself directly under your feet so that you can take a step forward and another step forward and you will feel the ground underneath your feet. But if you look down, you're going to see the drop. Because there is no clear step in front of you. But if you just take the step, the ground will reveal itself under your feet. That is what self-belief is all about. You keep looking forward and you keep taking those steps and somehow you make it through. And eventually you can get back to that confidence equals confidence paradigm. So in this concept of self-belief, how much is self-awareness going to make that belief stronger? Well, swagger is really all about self-awareness because at its foundation, it's not so much about self-assuredness as it is about self-acceptance. It's about saying, you know, that back to that word messy, I'm going to be messy. I am perfectly imperfect. I'm flawed. I'm human. I'm a work in progress. Shit's going to happen. Things are not going to go exactly according to plan because if I think there's a plan, I'm in trouble in the first place because there really is no plan. So, I, you know, being able to, to accept that in yourself and it is first. The second part of, of that is that the awareness to understand where is my swagger getting stuck? 
Because instead of, otherwise you get this big sense of overwhelm. Like I just want my swagger to be unleashed, but I can't. And, and that's because you haven't been able to break down exactly where it's getting stuck. Once you figure that out, you can take it in little bite-sized pieces. So those things are very, are very linked is the, is, is self-awareness, which can lead to self-acceptance, which will lead to, to self, to self-belief. Mm-hmm. You talk about these five blockers, swagger blockers. And so as I read that, I, I was trying to figure out which one was, you know, if I had to choose one, the biggest blocker for me in my life to date, wow. you have persona ambition, insecurity, fear, and pain. Which one was your biggest blocker? Um, I think probably pain and insecurity. Because here's here's the thing. Um, insecurity is all the what ifs. And, and it there are no answers in, in insecurity. It's just the questions that keep coming. What if I do this? What if I don't do this? What if this happens? What if that happens? What's going to, how is this going to turn out? What am I going to do? What if, what if, what if? It's like the podcast from hell that never stops playing. It's this eternal loop and it's designed to keep you unstable and uncertain. And the brain does not like uncertainty. And when the brain is in a place of uncertainty, it will err on the side of caution every single time. And that caution is going to be assuming that things are going to go really badly so that it can protect and prepare itself for that inevitability. That's why insecurity and fear are so linked together. That one drive, fear drives insecurity and insecurity drives fear. Because when we leave ourselves in a place of insecurity, and all the what ifs. That's what leads to things like the imposter syndrome, mm-hmm. which is just a classic case of ins- your insecurity churning, churning, churning. And you're waiting for the penny to drop. You're waiting for people to call you out. You're waiting to be sh- sh- you know, shown up as the you know, flawed human or the, the incapable human that you feel that you are and so on and so forth. Pain, on the other hand, which is the closest layer into who we really are, the thing, the bitch about pain is that there's proof in there. There's scar tissue in there. There's the reminder of, oh, I tried that one time. It did not go well. And it really hurt. And I don't want to do that again. I don't want to revisit that pain because we as human beings, again, are designed to move away from pain. Who who wants to run towards pain? So if you have experience in your life that your brain then contextualizes as being something that could lead to pain, you don't want to do it again, but that will keep you limited and paralyzed. So it's, it's, you know, all of these, these blockers are directly related to, to each, each one of the, the other blockers. And, um, you know, I have to remind myself that just because it happened once, it, it might not happen again. But I tell myself, if it does happen again, at least I know that I, I can survive the pain because I've already done it before. It won't be fun, but I have survived the pain before. So it can't, it's just a feeling. It can't end me. So that's the way, one of the ways that I've learned how to deal with pain. And insecurity, uh, I play a little game with people that I train and coach and I play the same game with myself and it's called the and then what game. So whenever I have a, a feeling of insecurity, when I'm stuck in that what ify thing, I play it out 
the whole scenario that I'm what ifing about second by second by second. So let's let's take a really practical situation. Like I'm really afraid of going into a meeting with people that I feel are more knowledgeable than me or people who are expecting me to prove myself in some way and I'm scared crapless. So what if, okay, so let's, let's go, um, I say, and then what? So okay, I walk into the, to the, the meeting and then what? Uh, I, I sit down for a minute and then what? Okay, it's my turn. So I stand up in front of the room and then what? And then I start doing my presentation or, or sharing my, my thoughts and then what? And then, you know, people seem interested for a bit and then what? Well, then one person starts to, to cock their head a little bit and go, mm, I'm not so sure. And then, then what? Well, then one person looks at the other person and they're kind of, I can see that they're kind of agreeing that maybe this is not going so well and then what and then I feel like I'm getting a little bit of a side eye from my boss who's like you're not you're not exactly killing it right now Leslie and then what and and very often if I play it out that story's going to go to some terrible place like I, I, I'm going to end up homeless on the streets you know my boss does this and then that happens and I get fired I lose my home it's all over whatever but then you got to ask yourself at what point did this uh, and then what story cease to be realistic based on your experience, at what point did it cease to be realistic? And it usually ends somewhere like, and then after the meeting, my boss said, nah, you probably could have included this, that, or the other to make it resonate more, or let's look at those materials and see how we can make it better. Or, you know, maybe, maybe I'm going to get you some coaching on how to do that. Or, or, I mean, those are kind of the real worst case scenarios. And when you can face those down, it starts to, to really limit that, that, churn that you have because you can ask yourself what's the worst thing that can happen and you have a concrete answer in place and in the book I have all these ways of scenario planning so you you scenario plan for all of the worst case scenarios so that you're preparing your brain so it doesn't feel as uncertain so you kind of trick your brain and you get really good at scenario planning so that you can outsmart the the more insecure aspects of your brain so this brings me to whole area. So uh, I worked for a French company and changed countries five times and saw how the company being the same, yet cultures were different somehow between L'Oreal in France and the L'Oreal in the United States or the L'Oreal in Montreal or the L'Oreal in London. There were different variations on that theme, despite the fact that they were a big company. And and so I have culture and I have governance considerations that are preceding this question, which is, can you employ this type of swagger in every industry in the same way? Or is there a nuance to how you have to go about it according to your culture and or your industry? Well, um, I think it's a lot easier to figure out swagger in a cultural context when you are in that culture, when you live in that culture or you've grown up in culture because it come, becomes contextual, you know? Um, there will always be social mores that we have to consider and rules of social interaction that, that we consider. Um, but your authentic manifestation can still exist within that within that culture. It just may look different to someone who's on the outside, for example. But for, for you contextually in your culture, you can still manifest who you really are. 
So, so it's the same thing. Sometimes people will ask me about the difference between introverts and extroverts, just as, a, as an example. And how does I that definitely, manifest? I definitely wanted to talk to you about that. Yeah. So here's the thing is that your swagger should not be anything that you aren't. So if you, your swagger can be very quiet. It can be very self-contained. It can be very methodical. It can be very um, gentle. It's not, it's, I, I really want to separate it so much from that old negative preconception of this big external show. Swagger is about how you feel about yourself and, and your, your, your belief that you have the right to speak your truth. It's about understanding what your intention is in this world and being a, a positive contributor to the collective it's about not letting the constraints of others be imposed upon you. So you decide for yourself what is right for you. And you are not changed by how other people behave or expect you to behave. It's completely different than professionalism, for an example. And, and I define professionalism, whatever, whatever culture or company or country you're in, as respecting other people as being in your place of excellence, doing the best work that you can. It's about being accountable for the work that you do. It's about showing up on time. It's about being a collaborator on the team. That to me is what professionalism is about, but it's not dressing a certain way. It's not using a certain kind of language. It's not assimilating into the culture to the point that who you are, your, your originality and your uniqueness disappears. And, and what, what, we know is that, you know, you think about the level of innovation that is happening in every company and culture on the planet right now. The, that kind of innovation requires creativity at its, at its core, and you can have no creativity without speaking your truth. It's not possible because you are having to challenge that which has been said and done already. So it's only through your contribution, your unique contribution, of things that haven't been seen or haven't been experienced, can you contribute to the discussions around creativity and innovation and change? So every company will have its own way of going about this. But if you refuse to put up your hand and contribute and, and you can't speak your truth or you won't speak your truth, you cannot be a contributor to, to change. So the, the blocker that was my issue uh, and I, I suspect it still is and, and might come through in this question, which is persona. Mm. And, and the reason for that is, well, first of all, I, at school, I loved acting. Putting on a performance, uh, putting my shoes, putting myself into the shoes of some personality, a character, and, and trying to incarnate that. And the concept there is there's a gap because this is a character I'm playing in a performance. So you could do the same kind of scenario between the performer of Leslie, the singer, trying to wow the platform, the audience. But I, I'm a singer and I play guitar. And I, as much as I, I think I'm always me, there's, there is still an element of, of performance that comes into it. So pleasing the crowd, making sure I sing well, trying to jazz it up somehow be different. So there's that gap, I feel, 
when I'm inner mode in another. So I, I, I ran a travel agency for musicians. I worked in a zoo. I worked as an executive at L'Oreal wearing a tie. I followed the Grateful Dead wearing a tie dye. I, I can't have possibly been all the same time. And when I speak French or Spanish or other, my other languages, there's always a, a different type of personality that comes out. So this is sort of my issue is I have these, I would say, perhaps multifaceted elements of my life and the, the notion of performance and wanting to please some kind of audience at some level, or at least adopting a I belong mode. Mm -hmm. how, how, what do you, how do you react to that? Well, okay. I want, there's like 65 things that I want to say. So first of all, the question of, the first question to ask is the way that I am manifesting myself right now in this moment, is it at the expense of who I really am? Is it, am I actively hiding part of my personality? Because we are myriad beings. We're multifaceted and we're complex. I talk to a kid differently than I talk to an adult, for example, right? I'm using nuance and I'm, I'm you know, cultivating different aspects of my personality. And there are all of these little nuances. But am I making a conscious decision to sublimate things about myself that are important to me and that I value so that I can be accepted? So then I can win over other people. And that's when it becomes a problem. Because remember, swagger is the ability to manifest who you really are and hold on to it in the face of all the psychological crap that's going to come for it, regardless of situation or environment. So you really will have one face, you know, one face that you show up with. But it doesn't mean you're not going to have nuance. You know, that's why we have the ability to nuance. We want to, we want to, you know, play up and down certain aspects. For example, I swear a ton. How many keynotes have I been said that people have said to me, don't swear, our culture doesn't like it. And I don't go, excuse my language, fuck your culture. I don't care. I'm going to be me. No, I want to respect the culture. So I'm going to have to dial that, that nuance of my personality down, but I'm still going to use, I'm going to say freaking instead of, you know, other F-bombs and I'm going to play and I'm still going to have my energy. Now, when you, when you talked about, about actors and performing, I'll think of it like this. Why is it that you could give the same role to 20 different actors and that role is going to become completely different? It's because they bring themselves to the role. They bring all of themselves. They could not, they could not fulfill that role without tapping into who they authentically are and finding the connection in that. And so for different actors, that's going to manifest completely differently. So I think, you know, when, when I was on stage, of course, I wanted to connect with the audience. That was my job was to connect with the audience, but I was going to do it my way. There was a Leslie way of doing it. And I wasn't going to change that for anyone. And either you dug it or you didn't dig it. And that's how you find your tribe. That's how you find your audience. Because as soon as you try and blend yourself out to the point of absolute assimilation, you stand for nothing. So I'd rather, I'd rather be um, judged because I think that's why persona is a, is a big thing. I'd rather be judged for everything that I am rather than being overlooked for everything I'm not showing or accepted for something that I'm not. 
all day long. I'd rather people take one look at me and go, she's for me or she's not for me. I'm good with that. You can't be for everybody. It's just a fact. No, and and I think in the end of the day, the the bravery that comes with that is something that's deeply missing in mm. corporations because they're always like, well, if I do that, then I'm going to piss off client B. Mm-hmm. And they end up with this sort of watered down version of who they are as a company, much less the individuals and the culture that they're doing. Another area that you talk about, Leslie, that of course was great interest to me was uh, empathy. Mm-hmm. It's, it, you know, and certainly you must, uh, you know, I, I certainly will avow coming from Europe that the old fashioned version of swagger was, was where I started, you know, when I pick up the book, if you will. Uh, but you, you obviously come to it in a different way and you talk about uh, the notions of empathy and vulnerability. So give us, give us your version of why vulnerability and empathy are so important in swagger because they certainly, they don't look like the right bed partners with the old definition. Well, if we go back to the, to the notion that self-acceptance is key to all of this, um, the first step is, is to accept that if nothing, if, if nothing gets in, then nothing can get out. If we think about, about who we are as humans as having like this pipe system, and if we close ourselves off, well, people may see this shiny exterior of us, but it's almost like this big plexiglass wall that we put up. And who we really are is not gonna be able to penetrate that. And in bringing in the feedback from the world, the positive and the, the, the negative feedback and all that kind of stuff is also not gonna be possible because there, there, there's nothing porous going on there. Um, and so in terms of vulnerability, you know, at its, at its core, Swagger says, here's all I am. You can do whatever you want with it, but I am gonna choose how it's gonna impact me. So I can't control you. I can't control your perception of me. I can't control how you feel about me. The only thing that I can control is my intention in this world and how I choose to speak my truth, how I nuance my truth to make sure that you get my intention and my ability to believe in myself. That's all I've got. Okay. I don't have the, the, the gloves on. I don't have the fists up. I don't have the walls up. But the beautiful thing is it allows me to connect deeply with other people as well. That's the beauty of vulnerability because it, it supports and promotes that empathy. And I don't have a hate on for anyone because I understand the struggle that people are going through. I understand what makes them difficult or not at their best or you know, all that because I've accepted it in myself. I've got to accept it in other people too. You can't, you can't accept your own shit and then say, but nobody else should have any. It's not possible. I mean, you can, you can say that, but you're a dummy because it's not possible. Like it's, I always say, everybody has a story. Everybody's going through something. You know, we've all been through those situations where someone behaves like an asshole to us and we get all, you know, shirty about it and we get frustrated and pissed off. And then we find out, you know, either through them or someone else, oh, such and such just happened to so-and-so. And that's why you go, oh my God, I'm a bad human for having judged them. And I wish I had known and all that kind of stuff. Why don't we just go into the world assuming that everyone has had a really crappy day and that we can be a better part of it. Just for, just like try it for a week. 
let's assume that even if nobody has an immediate excuse for being an asshole, that, that need to be an asshole comes from somewhere. It probably comes from fear and pain and insecurity or ambition or persona. It comes from a blocker. I know that for sure. So I got mad love for the perfectly imperfect in people. And I think that's what, what stimulates and promotes that empathy in me. It's just like, you know, I mean, I had a guy um, the other day who sent me an email, very polite email, and told me summarily why he would not be purchasing his copy of Swagger because he did not agree with the Merriam-Webster dictionary definition of Swagger. Now, I had options in how I was going to respond, okay? So I could be hurt and take that hurt away and do something with it. I could send him a, a... a response to try and justify how it's not the same and I'm going to try and educate him or I could kind of just go huh, not for everyone right what was the most sensible choice see let's <laughs> go huh, not for everyone I don't really need to understand what led him to that I don't need to understand why he chose to send me an email about that he was perfectly polite I just go nah, not my people And so the empathy is just in the acceptance of, okay, cool, dude, not a problem. I don't need to get involved in it necessarily, but eh, cool, cool. You do you and I'm going to do me and all love, you know? So there's a few trendy thoughts that are coming out of North America in business that are, let's say, washing over, sometimes contaminating or whatever, the way we do things in Europe. There's a, mm-hmm. a leading edge element to that in North America. Vulnerability is one of them because it's certainly not part of the, the old school thinking. And I have a, a generalization coming, so be careful, okay. that uh, Brene Brown, being a woman, you writing about vulnerability, it seems to be something that women are more in touch with as a superpower than men. Yeah. Not that all men don't have vulnerability, but I certainly was brought up under the school of hard knocks. Don't cry. You're a sissy, stiff upper lip. And, and most of my life have been more interested in presenting a persona of strength, a persona of perfection, or at least, you know, progress towards perfection. I certainly mm-hmm. don't believe in perfection per se debate. Um, which part do, do I debate? There's so many things, you know, I think fortunately in today's world, um, I think we raise our children um, not quite in such an extreme manner when it comes to vulnerability. I think the messaging is very different, which is great. Um, I also challenge, you know, those people who are afraid to be vulnerable, um, I usually ask them, when, where, and with whom do you feel happiest? And often they'll tell me, you know, with my partner, with my spouse, with my children, with my family, with my best friends, and so on and so forth. And my dog, my dog, right? And you say, well, why? Why are you happiest then or whatever? Well, because I don't have to put on the false front. I can be myself and I'm not, I'm not self-conscious and I know I'm loved unconditionally and so on and so forth. And I go, oh, so you're vulnerable. Yeah. And that makes you happy, right? Yeah. Could those people kill you with a word? Probably. 
Is it worth it? Yes, it is. And then I say, okay, so let's extrapolate out to that. Um, while we never, we, we may never, and I don't think you should have the a hundred percent degree, um, same level of vulnerability with you know your greater circle of colleagues. I don't think it's it's necessary because you're not you're not going to barf yourself all over them. I don't think it's necessary, um, but you have to kind of accept that if if you want to be more connected to them and you want to be able to communicate more effectively with them and you want to be able to to um, have more influence in their in their worlds you have to speak to them from a place of truth because if you don't they're going to see that you're full of shit and you know who the, those people are that we love and respect in our business lives and this is the irony too right who do we love and respect in our business world the people who we go, what you see is what you get. I so trust that person. They have my back. They are always, uh, you know, they're always what, what, you know, they speak their truth. They're someone that I could go to with anything. I don't feel judged by them. And yet we're afraid of being just that for other people, mm -hmm. even though those are the people that we admire. We don't go, oh, I love that guy. You never know what he's thinking. He's like a mask. He's like a robot. I love that woman. She's so buttoned down. You never know what she's thinking. People, those people scare us. They scare us. So I think that that vulnerability does not have to mean I go into the office and cry all over everybody because I'm distraught over a situation. But it does mean saying to your boss or your colleague, look, I'm going through something really hard at home. So I may need a little a little moment here or I may need a little time or I'm kind of off right now because there's a lot going on or when, you know, in the, in the pandemic world, when they check in with me instead of going, oh, it's great. Oh, it's great. Everything's funny. You go, actually, I'm struggling. You know, the struggle is real and here's what's going on. Because if they're in a place of any kind of authenticity at all, which they should be, if they're asking you, how are you? Otherwise, don't ask if you don't want to know the answer. Then there may be ways to help and to, to get through it and to be supported in that way. So I have crazy stories in my book. I'm, you know, I know you, you know those books about many, many men who had their swagger moments of massive vulnerability and whose lives got better as a result, not worse. These are little mini case studies. These are real stories from real people. And their lives got better, not worse as a result of vulnerability. And when Brene Brown also says that for those people who are connected to their vulnerability and authenticity, people like us, we got no time for the people who are not willing to be vulnerable. Because, you know, that, that whole thing about, she says, if you haven't been in the ring, that's the, the Winston Churchill quote, if you haven't been in the, you know, in the ring and you haven't been fighting that fight, what you say does not, does not matter to me because you don't even know what it is we're talking about. So I don't pay much mind to people who refuse to be vulnerable. I just go again, do you boo, but they don't change me. They don't dictate what I, what I do. I know, and I've seen it happen over and over again, that you are exponentially better. You're a better leader. You're a better partner. You're a better colleague. You're a better follower. You're a better, better, better human when you are vulnerable. And it is a learned skill. Take it little tiny step by little tiny step and prove the theory because it does prove out. Love it. So we're going to finish on one last topic. Another person in common between us, Trina White and page two. Oh, page two. So you've written your book, 
coming out soon. What was your experience? What did you fundamentally learn? What did Leslie, when she digs in, learn about herself in the writing process? Wow. Well, it was, I'm telling you, this book will always tied, be tied for me with the illness and the passing of my mother because it happened in the middle of writing the book. And I got to tell you, my swagger was not flowing for a big chunk of that time. And it wasn't that I wasn't authentically me. It was that I couldn't manifest at all. I just kind of, my swagger just, just got sucked dry. And, and in the book, I actually have a chapter on that called When Swagger Slips, What Do You Do? I couldn't have written that chapter. I don't think the same way without having had gone through that experience. Um, I also learned that the higher stakes the endeavor and the more you want it, the more your swagger will get challenged. It, like no question, because I suffered from insecurity while I was writing it. I suffered from the imposter syndrome. I struggled um, with the fear that my authentic voice would not come through. It was kind of meta, you know, struggling with the fear that your authentic voice would not come through while you're writing a book about authentic voices, you know, because I, I said, I, this book must be me on a page. It must be the closest thing to sitting down and talking to me or having me in front of you in the room or being coached by me because I wanted it to, to be my clone in the world. And that's not an easy thing to do as a writer. You know what I'm talking about. It is not an easy thing to do because you get, even though I'm a writer, and that was another thing is I'm actually a writer. So if you're a subject matter expert writing a book, you get way less caught up in that bullshit than if you're actually a writer because every word starts to matter. Um, but for, for me, it was making sure that everything that I wanted to say was gonna resonate and, um, and that I, at the end of this, would be able to say, yes, this is my manifesto. This is this is what I what I, I want to leave because this is legacy work. You know, as a, as a writer, when you create when you create something that you're going to put out into the world and say, please, everybody, learn from this, use this, be changed by it. I mean, my book is filled with tons of exercises because I wanted it to be proactive. I didn't want it to be passive at all. It's it's a journey, this whole swagger thing, and I wanted to hold people's hands step by step. I didn't want to just stand on the rooftop and scream. It is let me take your hand and take you through it step by step by step so it's not so daunting and that you're going to feel it and all of all of those things um that is what my focus was and that is not an easy gig that you gave is yourself not an easy gig. a high bar but you yeah. did well it's beautiful yeah, Leslie. thank you thank you so well done for that and how can people track you down follow you well, of course get your book the book officially goes on pre-sale um, uh, as of March 8th, which which will have passed by the time you our listeners hear this on International Women's Day, which is kind of cool. The book is available. Uh, so that's pre-order or from any any bookseller anywhere. Then um, the book actually um, is launches on May 10th. So you'll expect to get it um, uh, by then. Uh, you can go to swaggerthebook.com and there's a whole series of offers for pre-order. If you're going to buy more than one copy, there's all kinds of fun swagger perks that you can that you can get. Um, 
If you want to join the Swagger Collective, which you can also do off Swagger the book, then there's little special things because you're my special people. You get, you're, you're part of the Swagger tribe. You can do that. But you can also follow me on all the socials. I try and be kick-ass, inspirational. Every single day, I try to share some, some, you know, some unfiltered truth. So you can find me on LinkedIn at, uh, at Leslie M. I'm at Leslie M. Speaks on Instagram, at Twitter, at Leslie M. Facebook, at Leslie M. Speaks. Um, and you can navigate all through, through all of those things at Leslie M. There's and only one in the world. <laughs> yeah, that's M with an H in the middle. Yes, well, spelled, so it's a Leslie, L-E-S-L-I-E, last name spelled E-H-M, pronounced like the letter M. Perfect. Leslie, thank you so much. Great pleasure to have you on the show. Love your swagger. I love your story. And certainly love your energy. Thank you so much, Minter. This was beyond delicious. I knew I knew this was going to make my brain work. I was so looking forward to this one. I knew we were going to go deep. Thank you so much for this. You excavated extra swagger today. Thanks for having listened to this episode of the Minter Dialogue Show. You'll find all the show notes and other blog posts on MinterDial.com. And if you enjoyed the show, please head over to Apple Podcasts to give a rating and review. And to finish, here's a song I wrote with Stephanie Singer, A Convinced Man. I like the feel of a stranger tucked around me, precipitating the danger to feel free. Trust is a Still I won't tell the lie I sit here passively Hope for your respect Anticipating the thrill Of your intellect Maybe I tell myself There's no use in me lying I'm a convinced man Building an urge I'm a convinced man and I suffered a convinced man in the arms of a woman. I'm a convinced man, challenge my fate. I'm a convinced man, competition's innate. A convinced man in the arms of a woman. Despite revenges and struggles, Live for the challenge so life's not incomplete What's wrong with challenge? I know soon we all die I like the feel of a stranger tucked around me Precipitating the danger to feel free Trust in my reason and let me show you why I'm a convinced man, practicing my lines I'm a convinced man, hearing these confines A convinced man, in the arms of a woman I'm a convinced man, bit to the test I'm a convinced man, I'm ready for an arrest of a woman
how much do you understand the future of finance? I'm Jim Roos, a top 10 banking influencer and host of the podcast, Banking Transformed, where we dive deeply into the rapidly evolving world of banking and financial technology. Join me as I interview industry experts, thought leaders, and innovators as they unravel the latest banking trends, disruptions, and game-changing technologies reshaping the world of finance. Redefine your understanding of the banking ecosystem. Subscribe now to Banking Transformed, available wherever you get your podcasts and now available on YouTube.